0: Okay, so this morning we're going to carry on with our study through uh, the Gospel of Mark. I'm pick up from where we left off last week. So let's just uh, bow our hearts and just commit this, uh, this time of study to the Lord, shall we? Father, we do ask right now that you meet with us. Lord, as we read your word, as we study your word together, Father, we want to understand more of you. Um, and Father, challenge us this morning also. Uh, don't allow us to leave here this morning just as we've come in. Um, but Father, may we go... Lord, understanding a little bit more. Lord, having a greater insight into spiritual things. Lord, it's so easy to get caught up into the ways of this world and to think natural and carnal thoughts. But, Father, we want to be setting our mind on the things above. Father, we want to be thinking spiritually. and Lord, we want to understand those things that are spiritually discerned. So we need your Spirit to help us. So we ask now that he, as we meet here, just works in our midst to bring to our understanding these things that you said we ask it in jesus name amen okay so as i said we're carrying on in mark's gospel there's about 40 miracles we mentioned last time that jesus does throughout his ministry um in terms of the this so is the 40 we're looking at effectively miracle 19 20 21 in this study Um, In the ones that Mark records, it's the 11th, 12th, and 13th miracle. So not all the gospel writers record all the miracles. They focus on different things. They look at different aspects uh, and so on. Of course, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are very similar in terms of their content, uh, sometimes referred to as synoptic gospels. Uh, People like to put labels on things. But um, we just have just four different representations of Jesus in the gospels. Matthew presents Jesus as the king. Mark presents Jesus as a servant. Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. And John, of course, presents Jesus as the Son of God. And so we get this fourfold picture, a complete picture. Of course, the world and these worldly scholars don't understand this. They don't look with spiritual eyes. Uh, They don't understand all these things. Um, But we have the joy and the privilege of being able to study God's Word and see these things as we go through. Okay, we'll jump into where we were. And we got as far as verse 3031 last time. Now, the uh, the point we kind of stopped at was this idea that the disciples, the apostles, had gone out in ministry. Jesus sent them out to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, all these kind of things that Jesus himself had been doing. It gives his disciples this power to do that. I and mean, we said last time, it must have been absolutely incredible for the disciples. You know, the, the first time they went up to somebody and prayed for somebody to be healed, and they were healed, you know, the, the person that was healed would probably be surprised, but no doubt the disciples were like, wow, this, this really works, you know. And it's a little bit like us, isn't it? Sometimes we're a bit slow of heart in believing uh, all that the scriptures have, have written, you know. Just like the the, the two uh, on the road to Emmaus that Jesus sits and dines with. Um, sometimes we're a little bit slow in really truly believing the things that we read in Scripture, but nevertheless, they did all these miracles. They came back, but they're exhausted when they get back. You know, they, they hadn't kind of really stopped to eat much. We read uh, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had told him. we just said last time, just like a you know a child coming home from school. You know, we get that regularly, um, and it's a lovely thing when they tell us what they've done and the excitement you know they've had and. You know, uh, to us, it's kind of old hat. You know, we've been there. We've gone through that experience. But it's lovely when they come back and they share what the, they've been doing. And if the disciples coming and telling Jesus. And you can almost see Jesus with this little smile on his face. And you know, he's so pleased that these disciples are, are kind of growing in grace and in faith. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. And we're told, uh, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure, so much as to eat. So it had been so busy, and there's so many people all crowding around Jesus, they hadn't even stopped to eat. And we know, on this particular day, or whether a couple of days, they've been out doing these things. But they're hungry, and they're tired. And we stopped here last week, because we said that this is a lovely passage where we see Jesus say to his own, stop, rest. You know, and we need that. We need to go out, sometimes into these desert places with Jesus and recharge. You, know, you can't just carry on uh, as we are at the same pace. Um, and it doesn't mean necessarily you have to give up things. That's not necessarily what he's saying. But we have to find that time and that place with Jesus to rest. Because you, know, you can have as much sleep and rest and relaxation as you want, but if you're not resting in Christ, you're not actually solving any real problems. It's actually when you rest in Jesus and rest with him that we are really truly refreshed and we're renewed, not just physically but with the the inward man as as Paul speaks of. Now, I just want to read this uh, quote I found. I was actually looking for something else for the school of ministry and I stumbled across this and it was so applicable, I thought, well, we've got to just put this in because you'll see why. Uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, Come ye yourselves apart to a desert place and rest a little. Of a quiet time is a place to come apart. Now we all have, or we should have, quiet times in our in our lives. Times where we spend time with Jesus. You know, we may thought you know a devotional time or whatever other title we give to it. Um, but it's time that we should just set aside to be with Jesus. You know, to to come apart from the world and rest in Jesus and uh, i like this quote from something called vance uh, havner he said uh, jesus knows we must come apart and rest a while or else we may just plain come apart i don't think that's true that you know you can't just carry on particularly in ministry if you're serving you can't just carry on without going back we're like we're like rechargeable batteries if you like you know they're great when they're charged but when they're flat they're useless and it's a little bit like us. We need to plug back into the source and be recharged. And unless we are plugging back into Jesus, there's a limit to how much you can do in ministry. And i tell you what will happen if you try and carry on. Firstly, as Oswald Chambers says, and I've quoted many times, but that sense of responsibility will become overwhelmingly crushing. You'll get to a place of, of just feeling, I can't do this. The, the flesh is great with propaganda telling us, it's too hard ministry is too much. Other people don't do things or they're not supporting or they're not helping. You know, or you'll look and you'll see that other people don't seem to be working as hard or doing as much as you. And it's so easy to become very negative. And of course, we get the situation with Mary and Martha. Mary sat at Jesus' feet worshipping him. Martha gets all frustrated and flustered because there's lots to be done. And she kind of says to Jesus, Jesus, can't, you tell her, you, you tell her, she just sat there, tell her to get up and do something. Jesus says, she's chosen the greater part. He says, you know, Martha, you've been, you are come with a great load of care. None of those things were necessary. She kind of brought all those things upon herself. And that's what happens. When we get out of touch with Jesus, the, the weight and the responsibility of, of ministry, of serving, of doing whatever we do for the Lord just becomes too much. Even that that desire to share the gospel with people can become too much, and you just think oh, I just won't do it because maybe you try it it doesn't work and you know, somebody will come back with something you weren't ready for and you don't know how to respond and... and so we get very very quickly very dejected you know unless we are coming apart and resting a while with Jesus again we will just come apart. This quote goes on. It says, When the Bible becomes a part of you, you'll be less likely to come apart. To be much like Christ, we must be much with Christ. Attachment to Christ is the secret of detachment from the world. I really like that statement. Let me just read that again. Attachment to Christ is the secret of of detachment from the world. And many Christians struggle with all sorts of things, worldly things, lusts, and all sorts of you know, pressures that come from, from the world, uh, pressures to impress and perform in the workplace and to be somebody uh, and so on the world. loves to you know, make us kind of follow certain stereotypes. But actually to become detached from those things, the secret is to become attached to Christ. And that's the way to do it. You become attached to Christ, and the things of this world will just grow dim as we look into the glory of his face as we sing in that great hymn. And so, although we must live in the world, we must draw our strength from outside the world. As Charles Hummel wisely said, and interestingly, I, I, as I say, I just stumbled across this. But Charles Hummel's the chap who wrote that book that I quoted from last week. They're talking about the, the, the book, The Tyranny of the Urgent. And Hummel said this. He said, adequate time for daily waiting on God is the only way I can escape the tyranny of the urgent. You know, the pressures that surround us and and, and just demand our our attention. You know, some of those things are are not really important things. And we're going to see it played out now in the ministry of Jesus here. Because it's kind of a bizarre situation. The disciples have come back they're so overwhelmed that the Lord has used them in this way and they're telling Jesus all about it. And Jesus says, okay, come come away, come and rest. Now, all this crowd are gathered around. They're wanting to see Jesus and talk to Jesus. And, and kind of you and I, the natural mind, the, the Martha mentality would tell us, to. but these people have come, we've got to do something. We need to minister to these people. And so we read verse 32, and they departed into a desert place by ship, Privately. get back in a boat and just travel away but verse 33 says and the people saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot out of all cities I mean this is a great crowd of people that's following and we read and out went them and came together unto him so this whole group of people this whole multitude of people now follow after Jesus and the disciples they see where they're heading off to some of them presumably knew roughly where they were going where they are heading and so they all set off on this journey to go and find Jesus, find the disciples. I think this is really quite fascinating. Verse 34 says, when Jesus, sorry, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now fast spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place. And now the time is far past. So we're getting to the end of the day. and we'll, we'll come back to this in a minute. But there's a really important point I want to highlight here. As I was studying, I just stumbled across. It wasn't intending to, to see this, but it's just the Lord Jesus seemed to make this just come alive on the page. That the, the Martha mentality, as I said, was there's a group of people. Let's minister them. Let's do something. And Jesus says, no, no, let's just come aside. Spend time with Jesus. Get alone with Jesus. That's the most important thing. What happens as a direct result of them leaving the urgent, as it were, and coming aside and spending time with Jesus? What happens as a result? Well, here, we're told. This great crowd of people come to them. You see, so often we we set about trying to achieve our, our goals, and be it personal, private, ministry, whatever. But actually, when we come apart and spend time with Jesus, the people come to them. That was really what the disciples had been trying to do. Reach people, witness to people, speak to them, preach the gospel. Jesus also wanted to teach them, to heal them, to demonstrate that he was God manifest in the flesh. To preach that the kingdom was coming. And actually, by totally counterintuitive means, Jesus says, now let's just come aside. And this crowd then come to him. I encourage you to not worry about the urgent things. The things that are before you. The things that seem so pressing for your time and attention. Make your priority to come apart and spend time with Jesus. And then those things will come to you. They'll come and find you. But in a way and in a place and a time that you've now been refreshed. I just found that really quite amazing that you know, to you and I, that, that whole idea of let's reach out, let's try and get this crowd and speak to them. But Jesus says, spend time with me and I'll bring them to you. I think there's something in there. I'll let you pray that through and think through in your own hearts. But So we read that Jesus saw them. He has this compassion on them because he sees them as sheep not having a shepherd. And isn't that just like the world today? You know, So many people out there they're lost. You know, sheep are not the most brightest of creatures. You know, they they kind of follow each other in packs, and well, it's very similar to the world, isn't it? It's a good analogy that that we have here in scripture. You know, sheep to truly digest need to chew and chew and chew. Um, sheep have five stomachs, and so they'll swallow. The food, the grass typically they're eating, they'll bring it back up again and then regurgitate it and swallow it, it goes into a second stomach and so on. They need to keep going over and over things before it really starts to become a benefit to them. You know, the world are a little bit like that, we need to keep going. We need to keep feeding them, keep teaching them things of God, keep showing them our godly lifestyle, showing them how a life can be lived apart from the pressures and the dictates of this world. They should be able to look at us and see that we are, as Paul says, we should be ambassadors for Christ. There should be something so obviously different about someone who's a Christian. Again, because they're sheep not having a shepherd. You know, there's so many voices in the world just calling people this way or that way. I mean, eventually, there is going to be a shepherd who's going to come. he's going to be a shepherd who's going to lead people to destruction. The Bible speaks of him as being Antichrist. And he will unite the world, he will solve all the problems of Brexit and all the problems going on in the EU and the problems of Italy and you know the, the government issues all around Europe and in America and Trump. You know, the world is in a political mess, no question. And we're not far away from somebody stepping onto the world stage and being just as a shepherd leading people. Sadly a lot of people aren't going to follow. A whole multitude, many is the expression, so many times in the New Testament that many will follow after. Jesus said it, Peter said it, Paul said it. They all reiterated that this deception that's coming is going to deceive a great multitude of people. But you know, we have this opportunity now. We have a a window of time. The curtain hasn't yet been drawn that we can go to people. And just as Jesus sees them a sheep without a shepherd we can go and we can introduce them to the shepherd we can tell them there is a way that this world doesn't have the answers but Jesus Christ does have the answers in fact Jesus Christ is the answer verse 35 and when the day was now far spent to the end of this long day his disciples came unto him and said this is a desert place and just to pick up again on the verse that Yenoran and Lekin had chosen and Lekin shared a short while ago. You know, this was a desert place. And the Lord is going to make these streams of river flow. He's going to provide abundance in this place. That's what he does. He does a new thing. Great verse for this morning. Thank you. You know, this is a a desert place that the, the, the disciples had come to to spend time with Jesus. And suddenly this becomes a place of ministry. Of course, the disciples like we often miss it once again. They miss the the spiritual, they look at the natural, they look at the immediate problems, even though they've gone through these things. And so they say, send them away, that they may go into the country, round about, and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. The Disciples are genuine care for the people here, trying to solve the problem. (laughs) I love this statement. Because this is, I, I just find, I don't know about you, this is what Jesus does, isn't it, with us? He answered and said unto them, Jesus said to the disciples, will you give them something to eat? <laughs> and they're like, well, I haven't got anything, nothing to give. Isn't that the point? And they said to him, oh, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? We, we don't have Food here, if we were to go and try and buy it, I mean how much money would we need to feed this lot? You see, immediately they do what we do, look at the natural, look at the the ways that we could solve the problem. You know, gradually the disciples, as they go through this time they spend with Jesus, start to learn that they need to think spiritually about things and not just in the worldly practical sense. You know. This really was an impossible mission that Jesus asked of the disciples here. You know, it is impossible in the natural. But you see, with God, all things are possible. They've already seen Jesus do a multitude of miracles. Raising this daughter, Jairus' daughter, back from the dead. Healing all sorts of people, delivering them. The the, the leper. The storms on the Sea of Galilee. And all these things, they've started to realise that Jesus is no ordinary man. You know, but of course, it would have been crazy for the disciples even to try and attempt to do this. The, the, the danger is often when things are almost within our reach, and we try to do those things. You know, for the disciples, this was just a crazy thing. I mean, there was there was no way they could even start this. But sometimes. We find ourselves trying to do things because it is almost possible. That's a dangerous position because, whatever the circumstance, we need to learn to rely on Jesus. There's some good examples Um, we could look at this in Second Chronicles chapter fourteen, chapter chapter fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Really, speaks of King Asa. Shared this before, the King Asa. uh, In fact, just 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 turn there. Just have a quick. uh, a glimpse at this because it's quite a good lesson um, for us how we should trust regardless of the, the circumstances. Okay, so 2 Chronicles chapter 14 starts by saying in verse 2 that Asa, this king that comes to the throne of, of the line of David, um, did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's a great statement to have recorded in scripture, isn't it? And we're told that he took away the altars and the strange gods, the high places, and broke down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandments. He also took away out of the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. So God gives this king rest in the land. But then we get to a real problem. Because Asa's got an army of, uh, I think it's uh, 450,000 we're, we're told. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's about 450,000 he's got. You're he talking verse 8, the details there. Um, but then he gets this million man army from Ethiopia come up against him. Now, at the time, Ethiopia were one of the major powers. Certainly in, in this region, they, they were almost an unstoppable force. And we're told about this leader of the Ethiopians, Zera, the Ethiopian, with a host of, of a million, a thousand thousand, uh, 300 chariots. And they came to Marishat. Now, what do you do in a situation like that? That's just like Jesus saying to the disciples, well, are you go and feed this 5,000 plus people? I mean, we'll come back to the count in a minute, that it could easily been ten to 15,000 people there, or it's only the men that we have uh, recorded. It's an impossible scenario that Jesus presents to the disciples. It was an impossible scenario here, really, that's presented to Asa. Verse 10, then Asa went out against him and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zarephah at Marisha. And look at this, verse 11. If you underline verses in the Bible, this is a great verse to underline. And Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with thee to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, and we rest on thee, and in thy name we go against this multitude. O Lord... Thou art our God, let not man prevail against thee. And we read on that God gave them victory. Impossible, they're outnumbered, more than two to one. And yet God gives them this victory over this incredible army that's come against them. And we see that God provide, Jesus provide this situation with these disciples in a moment. The problem then exists though, if you jump over to chapter 16. In the northern kingdom, whilst ashes reigning down in Judah, a new king comes to the throne by the name of Baasha. Now, Baasha decides that he's going to start to launch his offensive effectively against King Asa. And... We read, just picking up verse 1, the 6th and year, 30th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. It's basically just stopping the trade route, stopping supplies getting to him. So what does Asa do? Well, Baasha's nowhere near as big as Zerah, the Ethiopian, was. He hasn't got anywhere near the kind of army. You know, so this one's within his reach. He can solve this problem on his own. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord out of the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadid king of Syria that dwelt at Damascus. You see what he's doing? He's now finding a natural solution. When he's totally outnumbered and there's no possibility of solving the problem, he goes to God and God delivers him. But when it's almost within his reach, he goes to the natural solution. And he goes to Ben Hadid and says, you know, break your alliance with Baasha and come and, and work with me and so on. And basically that's what happens. And of course they do get victory. But then we read in verse 7 At that time, Hanani, the seer, the, the prophet, came to ask the king of Judah and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. So what he's being told is, Yeah, okay, you may have solved the problem with Baasha, but now you've got a bigger problem. Because now Syria is going to escape out of your hands. They will cause you problems, and they did later. And Hanaliah then goes on and says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Liubians a huge host, with very many chariots and horsemen? yet, because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hands. And then we have this very famous verse that is often quoted out of context, but For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein now is done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shall have wars. So because he gets a problem that he can almost solve himself, he looks for a, a fleshly solution. And unfortunately, as a result of that, we find that God then says, well, okay, you want to manage it yourself? Go ahead, do it. And that's what happens for the rest of his reign. He ends up with this predicament and lots of battles and issues and and challenges he faces. Such a shame. So the the, the situation here that we should learn from this is regardless of what the circumstances are, go to Jesus. We're hopefully learning that we need to go to him and rest for everything. We need to find that time. We can't accomplish anything. Without resting in Christ, but then when you step off from that, that place of, of resting and you get back into the normal run of things, don't start relying on the flesh again. You need to remember that your strength is only in Christ. So Jesus says unto the disciples, "How many loaves have you? Go and see." guess uh, you could just get the impression here that Jesus, how many how many loaves have you got? And I don't know, we're looking around. I don't know go have a look. Oh yeah, yeah. So they then go have a little look around. And they come back and they say, uh, five and two fish. (laughs) We're not given the kind of context as to, you know, were they embarrassed? We've only got got five and two fish. That's all we can find. Or did they come back, pleased because they found something. I don't know. Verse 39 says, and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies on the green grass. I love Mark. gives us these little details. Remember we said that Mark is very kind of... It's like little picture pictures all the way through, little photographs. He's the only one that tells us that the grass is green. Does it matter? Well, Mark thought so, because he records it for us. This creates this lovely picture of these people. And by the way, this is a desert place, but there's green grass. Yeah, you know, when the Lord calls us to a desert place doesn't necessarily mean it's a place that's barren and there's no life there. You see, often the places we go to sit with the Lord are just like we read in Psalm 23. It's kind of lovely meadows where we can walk with the Lord. The disciples now have got this embarrassing situation because Jesus who, of course, they're going to listen to and trust, he's telling to get all the people to sit down. So the people are going to be expectant, and the disciples are kind of not knowing what's going to happen next. But And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. Now, there's the key. That's the key word in this sentence. Because everything that we have comes from the Lord. Everything comes from heaven. Every good gift is from God. You know, and Jesus here, and Mark recording this, it, it, it's important that we realise that, that Jesus is still in this relationship with his Father in heaven. He looked up to heaven, and blessed, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided here among them all. And you could just see as the first basket's passed out, and... The second disciple in line, whoever that was, is thinking, great, they take just taken all of them. And then he gets there and there's enough for him and he takes those. And the next disciple thinking, there's no more now. Well, oh, no, there are. You see, God doesn't run out. God's resources are beyond anything that we can think of. And we're told that he could do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I mean, if there's an occasion in scripture where that's played out, it's here, isn't it? It's exceedingly abundantly above all that the disciples could even imagine. Jesus providing. And I'm sure as every disciple got to the kind of front of the queue with a basket. They're thinking, well, there's nothing left. I'm going to be looking really, you know, all the other disciples are handing out this food. And there seems to be more than we had to start with. But I'll have nothing to give. And that's the point. We have nothing to give. Only by going to Jesus. And waiting for Jesus to fill our baskets. Will we have something to give out? Do you see the whole of this message is all about go to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come apart. Come and rest with Jesus. When you face a problem, go to Jesus. When you need to be filled in order to give out for other people, go to Jesus. Verse 42 says, Of the people, and they did all eat. And we're filled. Of course, the world rejects this. We believe it because we have no reason to doubt Scripture. Everything we know in the Bible that can be proven to be true has been proven to be true. And continually we find more and more evidence of the authenticity of all of these things. And we're told them they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. So that's the count of the men. Of course, no doubt there were women there and there had been children. So if there was just one woman for every man and there was just one child, then we're talking about 15,000 people. This is a large crowd of people. And straight away he constrained his disciples to get into the ship to go to the other side, before, uh, before unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. It's interesting because we find that the people from the other gospel accounts, they, they wanted to make Jesus king. Because Jesus provided for them in a, a very natural way, providing food for them. And of course the natural response was, well, we're going to get something out of this person. He's giving us things. He, he's a great candidate for king. You know, it's a bit like today, any any politician that makes promises or claims that they're going to reduce taxes and they're going to do this, and they're going to do that, and it's going to benefit us, well, typically they're the ones that get the votes, aren't they? It's the way it works. And so they want to make Jesus king, but Jesus won't allow them to make him king, because now is not the time. In fact, Jesus refused every possible opportunity to step forward into the public limelight in, in, in a... In a way that would suggest he was vying for power. He refuses every opportunity because he was waiting for that one particular day. And we know, we've looked at this, we've studied it before. That day was the exact day as prophesied by Daniel in Daniel chapter 9. Or prophesied by Gabriel, Daniel records it. The exact day that Jesus was to present himself as king to the nation Israel. And so now is not the time. So Jesus doesn't allow this to happen. So... Sends the disciples off first, and then he just starts to dismiss and send the people away. Uh, it's interesting. Well, look when we get to chapter eight, there's another occasion. We'll see if four thousand men are fed. Um, we, want, we may come back and comment on it there. Don't need to make too much of this. Um, but the, the feeding of five thousand seems to be predominantly to Jews. The four thousand commentators and scholars. Um, seem to think was to predominantly gentiles and people make interesting correlations because of the numbers and the the five and the seven and the twelve and so on i'll let you dig into that if you think there's something there um, but um well we'll move on for now verse 46 and when he had sent them away he departed into a mountain to pray you see what it happens again jesus goes to the father jesus needed that time that if you like downtime that time to rest with his father this is the the secret in a sense of jesus's ability to keep going to spending time with his father the call again is for each of us to come apart from the world spend time alone with god and when even was come remember the disciples had been sent up first we told that the ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land and he saw them uh, toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came with unto them walking upon the sea. And we would have passed by them. They have just carried on walking across. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. They're terrified. The acres of the, the wind, the waves and everything else. But also because this was just a... Bizarre situation. They weren't expecting anything like this. And we read verse 50. For they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And he went up unto them in the ship. And the wind ceased. They were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. And wondered. But they considered not the miracle of the loaves, so their heart was hardened. Interesting, isn't it, how quickly we go from seeing something just breathtaking that God does in our lives, then we can go back to being hardened and not really perceiving or understanding what God can do. God does it once, and we kind of somehow put it down to something that was there. Maybe we were in a different place or a better place with God at the time, and but it's not going to happen again. Whatever, their hearts hardened here, we're told. And this situation, that they're still trying to fathom out who Jesus was. Well, that was their excuse. For us, we have no excuse because we know who Jesus is and we see him do these things. Our challenge is relegating all this to 2,000 years ago and not believing it happens now. Not believing that Jesus really is the same yesterday, today and forever. That's the problem we have. You see, we've got the account we can read on, and we know that Jesus does all these things. And we go, I believe he did it. But can you, do you believe he will do it? Do you believe that Jesus will do these kind of things in your life? Interestingly, we've already said already that Peter seems to be the one who's giving these uh, these details to Mark, and Mark is you know, excitedly writing them all down for us. Peter omits the fact that he gets out of the boat in this account. But we know, of course, from the other accounts that it's at this point that Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me to come and walk to you on the water. And, of course, Jesus does just that. And Peter starts walking on the water. And it's going really well until what happens? Until he takes his eyes off Jesus. You see the same theme once again. You take your eyes off Jesus, it's going to be hard. You know, all the challenges and the problems we're going through as a fellowship, the health issues and the, the struggles and the difficulties, whatever circumstances we're in, If we take our eyes off Jesus, those things are going to be so hard. But if we keep coming back to Him, finding time to sit with Him, rest with Him, just get alone and read some Scripture. Ask the Lord just to speak to you through it. Just spend some time praying. It's so hard. It really is hard. Because there's always something else that seems so important. But if we want to move forward as a church... If we want to move forward in our own walk with the Lord, I don't believe it's going to happen unless we make this step. And it's not just about me making this step. I, I need to make this step. I need to spend more time with the Lord. I I, spend, I was talking to Joy a few weeks ago about this. I spent a lot of time studying and preparing to, to teach and things like that. And I love that. I really enjoy it. And I get so much out of it. Any of you who have ever taught will know that when you teach, you get more than you can ever possibly give out. But my personal time with the Lord. Those times that I used to have where I would just sit down, it would be just me and the Lord and His Word. They're less now than they used to be. And I'm kind of ashamed to say it. You know, and I'm not blaming you, it's not your fault, but it is partly because of the situation with my day job and with pastoring here and the time we spend with meetings and, and everything else. What happens is the The urgent things come to the fore. And, well, I I need to get preparing for for Sunday or for school of ministry or for Bible study or for whatever else we're going to be doing. And so those things always become the, the, the pressing thing. And yet the important thing is to get alone with the Lord. So this applies to me as much as it applies to you, but it applies to you. To every one of us here this morning. You need to be going home this morning and thinking, okay, this week, how can I find time, even if it's five minutes, just to get alone with the Lord? And we all have so many pressures, so many responsibilities. But for the parents here, you'll be grateful for just five minutes, anywhere, anytime, just, just five minutes to switch off. But whatever our circumstances. We've got to start to realize that there are many things that will demand our time, and we have to put some of those aside. Go to Jesus, spend time with Jesus, be strengthened by him. And the Lord will then deal with other things. This is exactly what Jesus says in, in Matthew, I think it's chapter 6, chapter 7. Isn't it? Seek first the kingdom of God. That's what he says Seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these other things will be added unto you. You know we could spend all sorts of time doing all sorts of things but the primary objective of our life now as christians is to seek first god just want to read you this quote from oswald chambers because i think this is so uh so true It says the wind was actually boisterous the waves were actually high but peter did not see them at first he did not reckon with them he simply recognized his lord and stepped out in recognition of him and walked on the water. Then he began to reckon with the actual things. And this is what's going to happen to you when you get home this morning. You're going to start to reckon with the actual things, the real things that are in our lives. And suddenly the spiritual things will get pushed to the side, but we just read on. He began to reckon with actual things, and down he went instantly. It's interesting what Oswald says. Why could not our Lord have enabled him to walk at the bottom of the waves as well as on the top of them? Neither could be done saving by recognition of the Lord Jesus. Another quote of Chambers, we step right out on God over some things. Stepping out in faith. What we're talking about this morning. But then self considerations enters in and down we go. If you're recognizing your Lord, you have no business with where he engineers your circumstances. The actual things are They exist. They're real. They're true. They they demand our time. Yes, they do. But immediately you look at them, you are overwhelmed and you cannot recognize Jesus when the rebuke comes. Wherefore did you doubt? Let the actual circumstances be what they may. Keep recognizing Jesus. Maintain complete reliance on him. If you debate for a second when God has spoken, it is all up. Never begin to say, well, I wonder if he did speak. Be reckless immediately. Fling it all out on him. You do not know when his voice will come, but whenever the realisation of God comes in the faintest way imaginable, recklessly abandon. It is only by abandon that you recognise him and you'll only realise his voice more clearly by recklessness. You know, And we need to come to that place where we start to hear God's voice. For many of us, I would suggest that we probably go through most weeks and we don't hear his voice. Or we only hear it occasionally. For Jesus, it was a daily occurrence that he was hearing and fellowshipping with his father. And that gave him the strength to do everything that he had to do in an unflustered way. You know, and we're called to live that kind of life. Let's just round out the chapter. And when they passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, And drew to the shore, this is the area of Galilee, of course. Uh, And when they would come uh, out of the ship, straight away they knew him and ran through that whole region round about and began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whethersoever he entered into villages or cities or countries, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. Who were the ones that were made whole? Those that reached out and touched Jesus. See, the theme throughout all of this this morning, it's not my theme, this is not something I've tried to work in here, but in all of these portions we've looked at, the theme is about getting to Jesus, reaching out to him, spending time with him, getting away from the world. Yeah, And the more you do, the more blessed your life will become as you start to see things spiritually, as you start to experience God deliver you in miraculous ways, do things that you had no concept of. The disciples had no idea that Jesus could feed that many people in the way he did. They hadn't asked for it. It wasn't a faith thing on their part. In fact, they were lacking in faith. But they simply came to Jesus they brought in what little they had. And Jesus did the rest. You know, Jesus didn't even need the loaves and the fish they brought. Jesus could have created it out of nothing. Created the whole universe out of nothing. Jesus will use us. Allow us to be part of what he's doing. But the challenge this week. Come aside. Spend time with Jesus. Look to Jesus. And then when you step out into the world and the busyness of life, don't allow it to overwhelm you. and Don't allow it to pull you from Jesus. Don't start making decisions as to how you can solve your problems. Go to Jesus. Learn from King Asa's mistake. Let me just read that verse one more time. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong. That's what God wants to do. To show himself strong. This is God. He creates everything. who upholds all things. He wants to show himself strong on the behalf of them. That's you and I whose heart is perfect towards him. doesn't mean perfect in the sense of without sin. But perfect just like David's heart was. Wanting God. Desiring God. David longed to spend time with God. Psalm 27. Great reminder of that. This week let's all just come aside, spend time with Jesus. Let's see what he does. It's about hearts, Father, thank you for this reminder this morning, Lord, that you are in complete control. And Lord, help us to allow you complete control. Father, help us to not reckon with the actual. Lord, those things really are. There are demands on our time. There are pressures. Those things are real. But Lord, there is nothing bigger than you. There is nothing that you cannot give us the strength to deal with. There's nothing that you cannot overcome. Lord, that million-man army of Zerah was nothing before you. Lord, you are our shield and you are our defender. And Lord, it's in your name we go. Lord, it's in your name we go this week against the challenges, against the problems we face. And you will give us the grace and the strength, Lord, if we simply just come to you and wait upon you. Lord, teach us this lesson. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, this morning that we are here and that you, by your grace, are sharing this with us. Because, Lord, you love us and you care for us and you want us to know these things. Lord, what great love you have showered, you have poured upon us. Lord, you want to bless us. More than we've ever known. What's the greatest blessing is that abiding fellowship, communion with you. Will help us this week. We pray. We ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. May God richly bless you and strengthen you as you walk with Him through this week.